Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Understand that God is in you. That you are not just a person that has a list of rules that is trying to perform in life well enough to either get into heaven or to keep from getting written out of the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, we make, we make so much of Christianity about the performance, so much about the, the emotionalism from day to day, and people are really struggling. I mean, even teenagers, you know, it, I'm telling you, I sit in my office and I meet with a lot of people and talk a lot about depression. You would be surprised how many people are depressed. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have struggled with depression in the last year? And depression is you just feel a little hopeless, right? Some people, it transitions all the way to the point of wanting to take their lives. And some people, it's just they, you know, when the, word, when the promises of God seem like they will not be promises for you, you get frustrated. And what it does is it hardens your heart. And it puts you in a place where it's hard to trust God. Doesn't mean you question his power. Doesn't mean you question who he is, but you question, am I the exception? Maybe I'm the one that it's not going to work for. Maybe I'm the one that these promises don't work for. And the promises are not there to make you fat and happy living in some mansion on a hill. But if you get that, that's fine. I don't think God cares about that. He's not worried about that. But the promises are there so that you would be a partaker of God's divine nature. God has made you great and precious promises so that you would be a partaker of his divine nature. Anything below that is letting this world define who you are. Because you, as a being, are spiritual. Say, I'm spiritual. You know, a lot of Christianity and a lot of ministry is to the dead man. Why is this still happening? I'm struggling with this sin. Let's get into the psychology of the dead man and try to get him fixed up so that we can be the new man. No, you are the new man. Amen. You only act like the dead man when you think like the dead man. You're not a dead man trying to act spiritual. You know what I'm saying? You are spiritual. And see, this is, this is how we approach relationship with God in Christianity, and that is you are spiritual. You weren't before. You were dead in your sin. But then you said yes to Christ, and he put his spirit in you. That completely changes what kind of being that you are. See, in the beginning, God made humans out of the dust of the ground, and it says he breathed his breath within. He breathed life within them. That's not giving them his spirit in that moment. It actually says they became nefesh. They became a living soul. And then no one until after the resurrection, or except the few that Jesus breathed on and said, now take my spirit, could have the indwelling spirit of God. And the indwelling spirit of God completely changes what kind of being you are. It's what Caitlin referred to, that new covenant. He'll write his laws on your heart. Laws will no longer be external you know, rules written in stone. They'll be internal guiding posts because it's who you are. You are spiritual. Before you were a living soul, but then he makes his children, his ministers, flames of fire. 
You become a spirit. You become something that, that the world had never seen before. And it's hard to kind of di di dissect a lot of that. There's a lot of scripture behind realizing that until Jesus, the spirit of God never lived inside someone. The spirit would come upon people and empower them and anoint them for a particular purpose and a particular task. But then when that was done, the spirit would lift off of them. Just so you know, the spirit for you will never lift off of you. The Spirit of God still comes out of heaven to rest upon you, but heaven is within you now. The Spirit of the living God dwells in you, and you are spiritual. Because I'm telling you, so much of your Christianity is trying to figure out how to be spiritual. And, and when I say spiritual, that either, that's either operating in the gifts, or maybe it's just experiencing the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe for you... Being spiritual is you're more loving, you're more kind, you're more patient, you're more gentle, and you exercise a little bit more self-control. Every time I say self-control, it's like the, you can feel <laughs> If you can control your tongue rather than gossiping and slandering that person, that is the most spiritual thing you can possibly do in that moment. In fact, it's more spiritual than laying hands on somebody and getting them healed because you are personally experiencing the fruit of the Spirit rather than the Spirit doing something for that person. I'm telling you, do you want to see the gifts in your life? Learn how to let the fruits operate in your life. And here's the thing. You're not a sinner trying to act patient. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have the Spirit of God within you. You are spiritual. It is natural for you to display the fruits of the Spirit. Yes. Except for when you are thinking like the dead man. In so much of church, so many sermons are geared toward, like it's almost like they're trying to convince people you're still the dead man. You're still the old man. You're still your behavior. Like God is looking at you through the definition of your behavior rather than what he did for you. It, you know, we talk about it all the time, but it's, it, it has to, you have to understand who and what you are now and forevermore to ever think about trying to change or display his character in this world. So this series we've been talking about, the Spirit, just coming around to the idea that he lives within us, all these things we've been talking about, understanding what God expects of us once we know who we are in Christ. Because you look at like what we looked at the past couple of weeks in Jesus, you know, we looked at the miracle of the loaves. And I'm telling you, I've heard a lot of positive feedback from you guys about the miracle of the loaves. And Jesus, so feeds five, you know, he gives his power to, he gives power to the disciples to heal and cast out devils. They go out there, they're doing it. They come back to him, they say, it's working. Then they jump in a boat, they go preach. And that day after they're preaching... Jesus says, there's a bunch of people here. They should eat. Or actually, the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, you know, th these people are probably hungry. Send them away so they can go buy food. And Jesus says what? You feed them. Right? Jesus expected them to feed them. Now, was that just for the early disciples or is that for you today too? Because wherever you answer that question might mean whether you continue on in this message or not. It's for today. And it's for today because there, I think that God is incredibly smart, don't you? There's one guy that was out there doing the stuff that was not part of the original 12 and was not part of the original 72 that John found him 
and told him to stop, stop. You know, can you imagine? Stop healing people and stop casting out devils. Because we walk with Jesus, but you don't. It's for us, not you. That's what, that was John's attitude. He went back to Jesus. Jesus said what? Don't tell him to stop. If he's not against me, he's for me, right? That's you. You're that guy. You're the guy that overheard, oh, the power of God is available through this man, Jesus. I'm going to believe and I'm going to do this stuff. And elitism in the mindsets of the people that think that they're the special ones takes so much away from the rest of the, the body of Christ that are just trying to follow God. I mean, can you imagine? Here's John, walked with Jesus. What kind of impact do you think it would have had on that guy? John, walked with Jesus, laid on his chest, the one whom Jesus loves. John was known. John was up there on the podium in the special chair with Jesus. You know what I mean? He's one of, the, he's one of them. He follows Jesus. We've seen him doing things, and he steps off the podium. He says, you, stop. What would you do? I'd say, forget you. I'm following. That's the, that's the guy I'm following. I don't know who you are, but this guy is who I'm following. That is, I mean, I'm telling you, that explains Christianity, or the, the, the state of the church, unfortunately. Stepping off the podium, I represent Jesus. You don't. You got to stop what you're doing. Anyway, that's a side note. I didn't even have that in my notes. I don't even know if I have notes today. Anyway, to get you to realize being spiritual is not just let's figure out how to get in miracles. That is such a part. It is part of it, and we want to see that stuff happen. But it has more to do with you knowing who you are because when you know who you are, you will just naturally live within this power. And the early church knew this, and the early church thought this way. So I have a lot of uh, scripture here. At least it feels like a lot, but we'll probably get, it th get through it pretty quickly. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. All right, you ready? I'm going to be reading out of the NIV because the reason you pick different Bible translations is to get the concept best of what's said. Some people will say, well, you got to stick to the King James because the King James is the most anointed one, and the King James is the one that's like the Word of God and, and the very, and the God, it's God's anointed translation. Well, God's anointed translation, if you were to get picky about it, is, would be the Greek, the original language that the boys have spoke that wrote the thing down. Now, New modern translations do have things that you got to go back to the original. So anyway, a little side note. I like the, new, the NIV in this because we're looking at the, the concept rather than trying to pick out a particular doctrine. So what I want you to look for when we're reading this is the mindset of Paul. How is he talking about the subject of spirit? How is he talking about the subject of what kind of being we are? See, because I'm telling you, you as a Christian will sit there and look at God's expectation of you, whether that be be patient, loving, and kind in every situation, or whether that be you feed them. And you feeding them may not necessarily be you perform a miracle, but you are generous for that person. You move. You know, God works through people. You understand what I'm saying? Whatever it is that God expects of you, you don't know that you can be that unless you know what you are, and you are spirit. You are spiritual already. So again, we're looking at the mindset of what he's talking about here, okay? All right. 
2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, For what we preach is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So immediately he puts himself in the context of I'm serving people. God is my Lord. I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm serving people. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I mean, you could take that verse right there. Matter of fact, homework assignment number one. You ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Just read that and just sit within that and just let the Spirit of God minister to you. I don't, I don't try to button everything up and tell you how you're supposed to think about a particular topic. The Spirit of God is way better at doing that than I am. We all move in a particular direction together as a body, but I trust God way more for you than I do me for you. So take the Scripture and sit and meditate on these things. So here's where he starts kind of talking about what kind of beings we are. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So immediately you get the context, okay, this, there's something in this vessel, right? There's something in this vessel that is not the vessel, and the vessel is not the thing. Uh, verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus. Now, how do you do that? You ever thought about that? I mean, you know, he just described being persecuted, and it can be that because the early church was being arrested and beaten and chained and whipped and told, don't do this, and eventually killed and boiled and tarred and feathered and burned and all of that stuff. It could be referring to that. But it also could be referring to, in Romans 8, where Paul says that uh, the spirit the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you giving life to your physical body. So I read this as in the midst of all of this persecution, I'm carrying about within me the power of the, power of the death of Jesus, which means the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. I mean, what does the death of Jesus mean? Is Jesus still dead? Like contextually, when he talks about the death of Jesus, what do you think about? The resurrection. So he's talking about this life that's in you. So verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So he's just showing, he's, he, this is a commentary on the state of the church of that day and in some other areas too. Not very many people are being killed for their faith in the U.S., but in Syria, in Iraq, in a lot of those places, it's a daily occurrence in mass, and it's not reported. Pray for those people. Verse 12, so then, uh, verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And by the way, he presents you holy and unblameable to himself. In Colossians, you see that. Verse 15, remember, think he's getting to the point where he's going to talk about 
what kind of being that you are. You, you already see that he's talking about we've got this earthen vessel, but we've got this power within us. We've got things that are happening in this world that might kill our bodies, but we have the life of Christ within us. So he's creating this distinction here. All of this for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now, that's just not acute colloquialism. That is truth. Amen. And see, what we have to do is recontextualize what truth is to us, specifically the truth of who you are. So many people believe the lies about themselves. Or you believe your temporary behavior about yourself more than you believe your eternal identity about yourself. Are you with me? Most people, when they're struggling, feel that their identity is defined by the struggle rather than who they are in Christ, rather than the eternal identity that they are. Now, so watch what he does here. So we fix our eyes, uh, 17, sorry, for our light and momentary troubles. Wait a minute, people are getting their heads cut off and boiled and burned and our light and momentary troubles, okay, are, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Man, Paul knew a secret. He's like, I don't care what I go through in this life. I don't care if it's depression. And Paul, had, Paul was depressed, I mean, he speaks out of his anguish and dark emotion in Timothy. Go read First and Second Timothy. Paul was struggling. Now, he knew the truth. He wasn't going to backslide, but emotionally, he was depressed. He was struggling with this life. He's like, I'm ready to get out of here, but it's better for me that I stay, or better for you that I stay. So here's where we start to shift where we're going. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Do you know how to do that? You will be persecuted for suggesting that you look at what is unseen rather than what is seen. Well, bless God, I'm standing on faith. I believe God's a healer. Amen. You believe God's a healer. You know? I mean, what's true? What's more true? Your eternal identity of health and life in the Father forever, or that illness that's in your body in this moment. Don't let that stuff, don't let your temporary condition affect your awareness of who you are to God and in God, because that will bear fruit. One of them's going to bear fruit. Which one do you want to bear fruit? It's like I'm blessing you or something. <laughs> Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, and I would say felt. Yes. What you're feeling is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal, and you can feel the unseen. Talk, we talk about that a lot. He slides right in. You know, Sometimes the chapter and verse throws you off. I'm going to go back to verse 18, and then we'll just continue on into the next chapter because it's the same letter. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. I don't look at what is seen because what I know is that if this is destroyed 
or if this is depressed, or if this is suffering illness, I have an eternal house in God. And it's now. It's true of you now. Amen? Amen. Verse 2, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan. Long, and, you know, it's like this paradox back and forth. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Who wants that? You know, and it makes me think, well, Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, so it's like you can wait until you die to experience the really good stuff from God. Or you can just go ahead and believe that God wants those things for you now. God's will for humankind is seen in two places. The garden before sin and eternity. Everything else in between is a mixture of God's will and mankind's choices. Your cancer, your depression, your suicidal thoughts, your kids that aren't paying attention to you, you know, the president, what's going on in Syria, none of that stuff. So meanwhile, uh, verse 2, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that, with this, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. So, I love this. It's just a master class of what you are. Then, you add to this. The rest of Paul's teaching and the rest of what Jesus taught is, yes, this is true of you, and in this body... It will, you are experiencing death. This flesh, this mortal body is experiencing death because sin is in the world. However, does that negate that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your physical body? Which one's true longer? Which one's true longer? Which one's eternal? Are you going to have cancer forever? Are you going to be depressed forever? Or are you going to have the life of God in you forever? Yes. Is it true now? Yes. Then you look at Jesus. Jesus was the exact representation of the invisible God. If you look at Jesus, you know God. You don't know God without knowing Jesus. Jesus showed us the will of God. And what did he do? Did he tell people, tell you, man, this life is just going to be hard. You're just going to struggle and you're going to suffer and you're going to be sick and broke and weak and depressed and, you know, you're just not going to have much purpose and life's just going to be bad. No, what did he do? Devil, leave. Be healed. Rise and walk. What did he do? He set things on this earth in the midst of an earthen vessel as it is in heaven for whoever came to him. Why did he do that? To prove that he was the Messiah? Some people will teach. Jesus did what he did to prove that he was the Messiah. Oh, yeah? 
Well, in fact, he told the devil, when the devil tempted him to perform to prove his identity, nope. I do not prove who I am by what I do. The Father testifies of who I am. The Spirit of God testifies and speaks to people's hearts who God is, who Jesus is. Jesus could have come here and lived a broke life, never having done one miracle, and still died for you and be your sin offering for all eternity, right? Couldn't he have done that? Like, I, th- I like to think about this. He didn't have to do miracles. Why did he? God wants people well. Amen? Think about it. Did Jesus have to do any miracles? And it's really not about the miracle. It's about who is God? What does he want for me? What does he expect from me? What does he want for me? He wants for you what Jesus did for people. Body, soul, and spirit. Amen? I mean, it's like... We have to know who God is and you understand him through Jesus so that you can live within the power that is within you, not so that you can perform your way up to God's acceptance, but so that you can represent God. Man, I'm telling you, Angela represented God well to story. That's what it's about. Angela could have sat there and said, well, I'm depressed. I'm unqualified. God can't use me. What'd she do? She got over it. She let God work within her. And then she stepped out in that and lifted somebody else up. That's it. That is it. I mean, that is it. Should I say it again? Seriously. Not, oh, I've got to to, keep the rules and keep the regulations. Well, it just makes sense that I keep doing that sin because after all, I am a sinner. No, that's not what Paul says. Paul says you've got this body, this physical body, this flesh that might crave sin if you think about it, but if you think about it, it will crave things that are in agreement with your eternal identity. So what do you do? How do you be spiritual? How, are, how, do, you, how do you live out of your true identity? How do you live out of your true self, who you really are? How do you move beyond the depression and the sin habits? and the lack, and the sickness. How do you move beyond that stuff? What do you do? Do you just do it? Do you just, well, this is what the law says, so I'm just going to do it, because bless God, that pleases God. Well, yeah, but your heart's not involved in that. Do the right thing. Obviously do the right thing. But where's your heart with him? Where's your mind with him? Because you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. People might say, well, that's not enough. You're telling me you're just going to think the truth and then all of a sudden it's going to work? Well, you got to do more than that. Well, you try to do it without changing your mind and your heart toward God, good luck. You old legalistic, self-righteous thing, you. I'm glad you laughed at that one. <laughs> so what do you do? You do this, all right? You ready? And we put it over the door so to remind you. This is Colossians 3. Since then, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set, now, that's not resurrected, 
See, there's a difference between being raised with him and seated in heavenly places and being resurrected with him. Because we just read in 2 Corinthians that one day you, be, you will be resurrected with him. But now you've been raised with him. Being raised with Jesus in this moment is a statement about your authority, your identity. You have been raised with Christ. You're a joint heir with Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. You have been given the keys to the kingdom. The power of life and death are in your tongue. Jesus has given you his spirit, and you are an ambassador, a qualified and empowered representative of Jesus on this planet. In fact, it says you are here in place of Christ right now to go into the world and tell people God is not holding your sin against you. Be reconciled to God. Amen? Amen? So this is what you do. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Do you know how to do that? I mean, we talk about it a lot. Your heart, the inner man, the deepest part within you, the part within you that will live forever. In that place, can you take and go to that place and shut out the whole world and connect with your true identity, what Jesus has done for you, and you acknowledge, in this place, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In this place, I am holy and perfect and beautiful in his sight. In this place, I am not depressed. When I step out into this world and I'm aware of this physical body and I'm aware of the circumstances that are around me, I might be depressed. I might be experiencing this stuff, but I quickly retreat into the Father which is within me to redefine and remember who I am because since I have been raised and seated in heavenly places in Christ. I set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. Do that. Please do that. For the people that are around you, that you live in your home with, please do that. This, this is the meat. This is... See, people talk about this message, whatever this message they would like to label it as, as being permissive or being prosperity gospel or throwing away the law. It's like, you don't understand what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. Set your mind on the reality of who you are because there is more personal responsibility that comes out of something like that than any law ever written in stone. Because it's not just a behavior, it's an identity. It's something that comes out of your natural choices. So you can do the law, but not want to do it. But when you live and you experience the fruits of the Spirit, it's because it's your desire that is birthed. And that desire comes out of the Spirit of God within you. And you must learn how to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. First and foremost, in your own life. Amen. Well, you know, my parents are both crazy. My parents are both uh, broke. My parents are both addicted. So that means, therefore, I'm going to continue in their footsteps and I'm going to have the same kind of lifestyle. I'm just locked into this type of lifestyle. No, that's an earthly thing. Set your mind on things above, what's true of you above. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the, I have the spirit of the living God within me. I have Christ in me that is my wisdom. Nothing outside of me determines 
my inner reality, and my inner reality is what I'm going to go to because it's true, and the truth prevails. The truth will bear fruit. You know, so many people are worried about what's going on in the world, and, you know, depending on your eschatology, I don't know. Some people think that it's just, I don't know. Some of our, some, uh, I'm just going to stay on track here. It's not that I have some kind of weird eschatology, but I'm expecting the kingdom to increase. There might be some bad things that happen in between time, but bad things are already happening. It's more of the same. But the kingdom has been revealed, and it will increase, and it will continue to increase because truth prevails. Truth overrides everything. And if you want truth in your life, you do this. You set your mind and your heart on things above. Not way out there, God, where are you? But above meaning in the place of authority that you've been seated in. That's the language that he's using, that you've been raised with Christ and seated in heavenly places. So the above is not out there. It's not even a locational statement. You know, you think above, you think three-dimensional space or something. But no, it's, it's a position. It's a place of authority. Set your mind above the earthly things. I'm going to think higher than this. If you're letting politics determine who your friends are, you're not thinking above politics. If you let skin color determine what you think about people, you just don't get it. You have to think above that stuff. This is what it's talking about. Set your mind on things that are above the earthly things and hold it within you as if it is a seed and it, you're just waiting for it to grow because God will bring the increase. And the degree and the thought in Mark 4 teaches, Jesus teaches, he says, look, the kingdom is in you. The, king, the word of God has been planted in your heart. And the condition of your heart, not whether you're a good or bad person, but how deeply you trust God that that seed is true will determine the degree of yield in your life. And if you don't understand that, he says, you're not going to understand anything else I teach. This is the mystery of the kingdom. The, the receptiveness of your heart determines the degree that the kingdom will yield fruit in your life. That's a hard thing to grasp because it ain't God withholding from you. Amen. It is not God in his timing waiting to give you the things that Jesus already paid for. Hello? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. Last verse, ready? Because we're talking about, okay, well, what do we do? How do we do it? How do we do Christianity? How do we do? What do we, how do we become the things that God expects us to become? It's in this. What we just read, set your mind and your heart on things above because you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, I've got this pattern, and see, what I've got to do is I've got to put locks on my computer, and I've got to, you know, I've got to stay away from these kind of people because these kind of people make me sin. Well, it's like, are you Muslim? Because the Muslims make their women cover themselves up so they're not tempted. Let's just read the next verse here. Philippians 4, <laughs> chapter 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Whew. I mean, he just throws that out there. Don't be anxious about anything. Man, I'm telling you what, I would love to just be able to say that in counseling. People come in worried, stressed out. Don't be anxious about anything. What's next? It's like, stop it. 
Are you anxious? Yep. Stop it. What's next? That, that, you know, that's why people, I don't have a lot of follow-up <laughs> visits. I'm serious. You think, uh, I don't have a whole lot of follow-up visits in my counseling because it's like, okay, here's your life. This is what you're doing wrong. This is who you are in Christ. This is what the Bible says to believe about it. Here's a prescription from the Word of God. You're going to put that into practice? Yes. I want to stop sinning. Okay, here's what it says do. Okay, I want my marriage to work. Okay, this is what it says do. Meet the next time. Did you do this? Uh, no, I had blah, blah, blah. I can do nothing for you if you do not co-labor with God and let His Spirit birth within you these things that you are seeking to get me to explain to you how to do. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and supplication or petition with thanksgiving. I'm telling you, man, that is so overlooked. When you go to God... It better be with thanksgiving because all, if it's not, then, you, then it's just going to be a bunch of moaning and whining and complaining. It's going to be Moses going to the Father, God, we've been delivered, but we're going to die. And God's like, why are you crying to me? Use the staff that's in your hand. Go forward. What are you doing? Okay. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It's better. It's not that you don't get to understand. It's just that in peace, everything, you either need the understanding or you have the understanding. I mean, you either have the understanding or it's, not, it's, not, it's just settled within you. So in other words, peace is higher than understanding. Because see, we read this and we think, well, I've just got to have blind faith and I just have to accept it. Well, not necessarily because peace brings understanding. Your peace settles the issue where you're not trying to figure out the details. Un- understanding is like code for carnal thinking a lot of times. Like, I got to understand in this earth how it's going to work out. No, you don't. If you're trying to understand how it's going to work out, if, you, if you're trying to understand physically how God will meet your need, you don't understand the parable of the sower in that God has sown his spirit within you and the degree to which you allow that word to bear fruit within you will produce that thing that you're trying to get God to give to you. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts because out of your heart flows everything and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers brothers and sisters, whatever's true. I mean, what's true? What's true of you? Like when you're facing something, ask yourself, what's, what's the truth here? What's true in this moment of who I am, who God is? Will God always be that? You can't take away from God his character and label it timing. Like that's what we do. We strip away the power of God and then we call it timing. Well, God, God's not going to be that for me right now because it's not in his timing. You, God's always going to be everything that he is. You can't stop it. You can just choose in your heart how receptive you're going to be in that moment. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You mean don't sit there and dwell about all these things that make me feel more suicidal? No, don't think about those things. 
Just stop. Think about what's true. Wow, that sounds you know, easy for you to say. Well, pff, I've been there. I've sat facing a gun, taking pills, hearing voices. Whatever you have learned or received, heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Put it into practice. What did he just say to put into practice? He taught them what to think about. Amen. Put that into practice. Yes, absolutely there's the thing of you know, abstaining from sin and abstaining from drunkenness and all of that stuff. I mean, obviously. But more so, what drives those behaviors is what you allow to be in your mind and in your heart. Specifically, even deeper than that, is what you allow yourself to believe about who you are. If you believe that you are a strong person that has grace within you, and that grace is stronger than the lure of sin, then sin will not have dominion over you. If you're struggling with sin, you don't believe who you are in Christ. Is Jesus struggling with sin? Is Jesus in you? Is his power in you? Are you under the old covenant where God is expecting you to keep all those 613 laws? Or are you under the new covenant where it's defined by what he's done for you and the Father and the Son uphold this covenant and you are in it because of your faith in their work together, Amen. right? And then you set your mind into that place and it will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. And then when that inspiration or that grace, see, part, a huge part of why we are not personally experiencing victory or experiencing the promises of God is because we don't seize grace. And I'm telling you, this is what he's talking about. Put it into practice. Because if you put it into practice, then there's peace. So this is my challenge to you. And I'm, and I'm wrapping up this series, but you know, this is a topic that we really always visit. Act on moments of grace. Act on moments of inspiration. What if Angela had not stepped out and acted in that moment of inspiration toward story? Or the other girl that ministered to her? What if those guys had not acted on that moment of inspiration and not had that camp? Maybe that was the thing. You know, for whatever reason, it happened where Angela was able to experience that. You know, there are things that people need you to act on. Not because God's disappointed if you don't, but because you represent God. Amen. And the more you know who you are, the more you'll represent God well. Because it's not, you're not constantly looking back over your shoulder waiting for God to stab you in the back or something or kick you out the door. It's like, ha-ha, you're out there now, you're gone, you know, <laughs> like he's tricking you or something. No, he's got your back. Amen. Amen. I mean, it's weird the things we think about God. It just is. You don't know that you think those things, but you do. I wonder if, I wonder if this is going to be the sin that where God finally turns his back on me and casts me out of him. You have forgotten the strength of the sacrifice of Christ. The Spirit of God is in you. Everything that you're trying to become, trying to experience, is already there, and it's in seed form. 
and you can have as much of it as you want to have. It comes out of relationship with God. It comes out of understanding that you can set your mind and your heart on him because that is the breeding ground from which Christianity comes. It's the breeding ground from which purpose and strength and power and transformation and holiness and righteousness and all of those things that are expected, it comes from. But the secret is you are already those things. And if you don't know that, you're not going to live within the power of that, and you're always going to feel like you're missing something. That's my last thought. How many of you feel that way? I feel like there's something missing from my Christianity. Either it's your theology that you don't have it yet, or you just feel that way. It's like I'm, I'm basing it on my behavior. I'm basing it on the condition of my life. I'm basing it on my bank account. I'm basing it on my relationship. You just feel that something's missing. There's just something that I don't have. There's just something, you know, one day when I finally get this understanding, when I finally get this worked out, I finally stop doing that, then I'll be what I'm supposed to be. It's time to let that thinking go and acknowledge that in this moment, you are complete in Christ. Should you continue in sin? Why would you want to? Does that mean God is just like, you know, shuffling away evil and sinful behavior? No. He's just already done something about it, and he's not holding it against you. You already are those things that you think you lack. And the more you become convinced of it, the more you'll live within that. And I'm telling you, the, the, if there is one thing that you lack, it's confidence. Specifically, confidence that God is in you and that God is faithful and that God will always be God and that a yielded heart will look exactly like Jesus on this planet. So if you are seeking for anything, seek confidence. But the way that you get confidence or a trust in God is you do these things, what's true. So I know I've said a lot, but let me just give you this one thing. When you go out here and life happens and you start evaluating, well, is God speaking to me through this circumstance? You know, by the way, quit trying to interpret, it, the, interpret the will of God through external <laughs> circumstances. It's like the least spiritual way to know the will of God. Well, that happened. I wonder if that means God's telling me I'm supposed to go do that. No, it's got to come from within. Amen? Amen. But here's the one thing, the one thing, say one thing. I know I've given a lot of one things, but I'll just give you one last one thing. What is true? Think on what is true. I will, I will do my best to understand the word of God as clearly and as accurately as I possibly can so that I am bringing the truth into this place. And we all do that together. But here's your goal. Here's your homework. Here is the assignment for you for the rest of your life that when life happens and you are feeling less than, stop and think, what is true? Amen. What is true about God? Amen. Who is God? What did he do for me? What does that mean of who I am in this moment? And you recontextualize everything that you're experiencing on what's true, and you hold on to that truth to the degree that it starts to change your inner world, and then you will see it bear fruit in your outer world too. Just think about what is true specifically in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen?
Can you take that with you? Man, if you can do that, life changes. I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect and every external situation is just going to work out, but it won't kill you. It may not, I mean, it'll, it'll stop you from letting it bring you to a state of depression. It'll stop you from letting it rob your joy. Recenter on truth. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your spirit. In this moment, we acknowledge, for those of us that have said yes to Jesus, your spirit is within us. And if you're sitting in this room and, you know, maybe you don't know for sure, and you'd like to, you just want to say yes to who Jesus is.